live. Now, today's message is one of those ones that nobody wants to hear. Okay? It's just really that, that simple um, because it's on uh, parenting and marriage and work. And everybody goes, you know, if you're, if you're not married, you think, well, I don't want to hear this. You know, what's he going to talk to that I need to hear? If you are married, you think, well, if I was a husband, I'm going to feel like everything's my fault. As the wife, he's going to talk about submission, and I don't want to hear that. You know, as a parent, we're all going to feel like we, we've blown it. If you have kids, if you don't have kids, you think, praise the Lord. Um, you know, it's so all the different aspects that you don't want to hear. And then you come to work, or if you're in school or whatever, you know, now... If I'm the teacher, I've got to act a certain way, or the boss, I've got to act a certain way. So we really don't want to hear this message. Um, but I have learned over the years that I have one word for people who are experts on marriage and parenting. You ready for that one word? Single. Okay? Because once you're married and you're parenting, you're not an expert anymore. You realize that pretty quickly, that you don't know squat. You know, and so... When you're single, you think, hey, I got all the right answers. I know what it means. I'm going to do this right. Um, but, you know, and we laugh about that. But the point is, as we're dealing with all these topics, and as Paul was dealing with this with people who, many of them Gentiles, who didn't have the Old Testament, didn't have anything to give them any kind of guidance. This was all brand new. What does it mean for our lives? And so as he's giving some practical advice on if Christ is in you and you are in Christ, this is how you should live. But as we come to it and we think about all of this, the reality is in every one of these situations, we're talking about relationships. Relationships are messy. You know, relationships don't... Um, they don't always fit in the categories we think they should. That's why we have all the problems we have in our relationships. Because we expect everybody to live and act a certain way. That's why marriages have problems. Because you act a different way when you're dating than you do when you're engaged, than when you're married. than when you're first married, later on in life, you're kind of getting used to each other. You're kind of getting where you take advantage. You know, so there are all these different aspects about relationships. And the reality of all of it is you can only control you. You can only determine how you're going to react and how you're going to act towards other people. You can't determine how other people are going to act. You know, and so when you think that there's this nice little formula, well, if I just read the Scriptures and I just do these certain things, then my marriage is going to be perfect, my kids are going to be perfect, my job's going to be perfect. I'm never going to have any struggles with anybody I deal with. Now, I work for a mission agency. You would think that would be the place where everybody gets along, right? That would be the place where there's never anybody gets fired. There's never anybody gets mad. There's never anybody who says the wrong thing because we're missionaries, right? Missionaries are all perfect. Isn't that right? So, so I mean, we think that way about all of our relationships, that if we just, you know, follow the Lord, everything's going to be perfect. Well, we're following the Lord with a group of people who are people. And people don't always do the right thing. And believe it or not, neither do you or me. You know, you know it's not always the other person's fault. 
So as we're thinking through this, we want to think about what, are, what is it Paul's telling us about relationships. Now, he gets into some specific relationships, but then we'll go back in a few minutes to talk about relationships as a whole. So he talks about husbands and wives. That's where he starts in Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 and 19. We'll read that. It's not on the screen up here, but we'll read it. If you don't have a script, if the passage, just listen. Um, but he says this, Wives, submit to your husbands. Okay, I'm already in trouble. As is fitting in the Lord, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Now, there's certain aspects in, in Ephesians in this same kind of a parallel passage. Paul says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. Now, we say that, and it sounds real good, but it's not always easy for us to do. I'm talking to the husbands first. It's not always easy for us to do because we don't always deal with our relationships in work or anything else in a, I don't want to use the word loving, but that, but it, you know, it's not that aspect. Everything is very transactional where if I tell you to do something, you're supposed to do it. And if you don't do it, then you're punished. And that's, that's the way we deal with in life. As funny as I'm getting to know other cultures um, working with crossover, everybody who calls or texts or anything from uh, a more Latin culture, whether it's Brazil uh, or any of the other Latin cultures, everything starts with, I hope you're doing well. Praise God. I'm praying for your family. You know, bless the Lord. We're glad that you're doing what, no matter what your conversation. And my conversation, is, even in a text message, just, you know, there's all that or WhatsApp. There's the whole conversation about your family before you get into business. Where my whole life is, if I'm texting you, I want to text as short as possible. That's what you got to do. Done. You know? And so I'm offending everybody on our staff. Because I'm used to that's the way you deal with business. You just get into it. You have a meeting. You don't sit and talk about each other's families. You got an hour. You got to get this meeting done. We're not going to spend 15 minutes talking about each other's families. Let's get in here, get the business going. Um, and so, but guys, it's the same way with your wives. You know, you come home from work, and let's all just be honest here. You come home from work, your wife says, How was your day? Fine. What'd you do today? I didn't some meetings. How's your day? Then you hear every detail from the moment they left the house till they get home. You know? And, and, and you're thinking, I didn't really ask that. I mean, you know, I just wanted to know, how was your day? Fine. See, fine was the, one I was, the word I was looking for. But, but the point on all of this is, if we love our wives as Christ loves the church, we're willing to sacrifice. Not just time sitting talking about things that maybe are more details than we're used to. But it's any sacrifice. It's always a matter of if we're loving the way Christ loves the church, everything we do as men has to be for the best of our spouse and for the best of our kids. We have to be willing to say, I'm going to be, you know, we joke around with my family um, growing up. My mom was the one who did it probably more than my dad, but my mom we always, we call it the chicken neck award, where my mom would make enough chicken for everybody to have five or six pieces. I don't know why she did that. That's why we're all fat. But, but she'd make enough chicken for everybody to have five or six pieces, but she'd go get the neck. You know, well, I'll eat the neck, so make sure everybody's got enough. You know, or if there wasn't a neck, I'll eat the wing. 
You know, it's like three pieces of meat on there, tiny little bit. I'll eat it. You know, there's plenty of chicken, Mom. No, no, I just want to make sure everybody has enough, so I'll eat the neck. So now we have in our family the chicken neck award, which is when we're all together, whoever's the one who's trying to sacrifice the most, you know, for everybody else, then they're the ones who, who get the chicken neck. Well, as the husband, you need to be striving to get the chicken neck. You need to be working towards doing that so that you are sacrificing for your spouse. Um, It's also a spiritual leadership. I tell couples, when they're dating especially, I tell couples, do not pray together. Sounds real spiritual from a pastor, doesn't it? Do not pray together. You know why? And let's just, we're just all being honest here. I know not everybody here is married, but let's just be honest. If you're not married, don't pray with your girlfriend or your boyfriend. Because when you pray together, there is an attraction that that woman has for you because you are leading spiritually. That's the way God has designed her. That's the way things are. So as you as a husband have to lead spiritually. You need to be very careful if you're not married in leading spiritually. Yes, you still want to be leading spiritually in, this, in a lot of ways, but just be careful what that looks like. So, but we as husbands have to lead our wives and love our wives spiritually. And then also we are to love them sympathetically. There's going to be times when you just do not understand. Okay? It's just no matter what you try, you think you do, and you think that little quick answer that you have that came into your mind when she started that discussion of that problem is going to solve it, shut up. Okay, I'm just, let's just be, we're family here, right? Just don't say it, okay? Because it's not the answer she's looking for. She really is not looking for an answer at all. She's smarter than you, and she's going to come up with the answer on her own. Just let her pour it out. You know, just listen to the whole thing. Don't, don't answer, all right? So I beat up on the husbands enough. Now let's beat up on the wives for a little bit. Um, you know, we hear the word submission. And when we hear that word, we automatically think masters and slaves, right? That I'm supposed to just do whatever he asks me to do. I'm supposed to do. And so that, that's not what it means. Submission, first off, means that you show a loyalty to your husband. Your husband needs to understand and know that you have his back. Because there's times at work, not anybody else has his back. And when he comes home and he says, fine, you don't necessarily have to get all the details as to how unfine that day was. But you support him. You show loyalty to him and say, you know what? I'm here for you. You don't have to say anything. Just go sit by him. Hold his hand. You know, because right now he's processing everything that happened that day, and it was a bad day, and so he's thinking, okay, do I even want to go back to work tomorrow? If I go back to work tomorrow, do they, are they going to tell me not to come back to work tomorrow? You know, it's just one of those days. He just needs somebody there to say, I love you no matter what happens, even if you get fired or you quit. Okay? So there's, there needs to be that loyalty. And it's not a loyalty just because he's your husband, but he needs that respect and that loyalty. There also needs to be this idea of you're ministering to him. As someone who is in ministry and has been in ministry for 33 years, 
it is so much easier to minister to everyone else and neglect ministry to myself. It's easy to say I'm going to just pour out, pour out, pour out, pour out, pour out and not minister to myself. And so I need the ministry of my wife to say, you know what, you need to slow down. You need to stop. You need to say no sometimes. How are things, how's things with you? What's going on in your life? How are you growing in the Lord? Because don't assume because I'm in ministry that I'm growing in the Lord. Don't assume because your husband loves the Lord and desires to serve the Lord that when he goes to his job, which is garbage sometimes, that he's just going and just so rejoicing and praising the Lord, hallelujah, that, that everybody's treating me like this. No, he needs your ministry. You know, and he needs to know that you need to love him with dignity. And it's, it's become the popular thing, you know, especially with, with um, social media, that, you know, well, it used to always just be the comedians who stood up and always told jokes about their spouse and all that. But now, it's, you know, social media, you post all kinds of things about, you know, the, you may not think that that hurts because your husband's not going to tell you it hurts because that means he's not a man if it hurts. But, but if, he's, if he feels like what he does for a living you don't respect, then that causes issues. Okay? So submission is not you do everything he tells you to do. Submission is you're willing to give to him as he gives to you. Okay, so now I'm in enough trouble. Let's move to parents and children. Um, verses 20 and 21 says this. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Now, you say, well, what does it mean for a father to not provoke his children? Well, there's a book for that. every one of the topics that you can do to provoke your children out there. Go read them. I'm not going to give you all the possible answers. You know, the issue's not don't ever make your children mad. The issue is doing things that you know are going to discourage and tear them down. There's going to be times you're going to make decisions they don't like, and they're going to get mad, and they just got to tough it out. But that's really not what it's saying here. But the issue here is, what are you doing to, to help that child become more like Christ or to hear more about Christ? Because you know what? You cannot, you cannot affect their spiritual life. Now, what do I mean by that? You can guide them spiritually, but you can't save them. You can't change their heart. All you do is give guidance. There's a proverb that everybody quotes and makes all the parents feel guilty. That train up a child when they're young, when they're old, they'll not depart from it. And if, children, if your children depart, you must have done something wrong. That's a proverb. It's not a promise. It's a proverb. Generally speaking, this is the way it goes. But there's times when it doesn't go that way. Because you can't control them spiritually. You teach them the truth. You show them the truth. And it's up to God to work in their heart, and it's up to them to listen to God working in their heart. And as we said, we're dealing with people. Even though they might be little people, they are people. And take it from someone who had four little people. Every single one of them are different. 
and how you teach them and how you train them and what you do is different with every one of them. You know, it's, it's, this is a sidelight here, but it's the same as true for our two dogs that we have right now that were true with my two oldest children. Okay? I'm just going to put it this way. My oldest was, from the start, was tough as nails. You know? I mean, we didn't do this, but you could have beat him half to death and he'd go, all right, fine. I'm going to go on about life. If you beat him, then my daughter, whether she did anything wrong or not, she felt guilty. So she'd come to you that night and confess something that she didn't even do because she felt guilty because he got in trouble. See, our dogs are the same way. I get on the one dog, the other dog cowers. This the one dog just looks at me like, eh, what are you doing? You know, Tabitha, you know, she'd come down. She'd be bawling her eyes out. What happened? Oh, today I, I, I borrowed a pencil. I didn't give it back. He going, okay, give it back tomorrow. <laughs> I don't you know, I, I'm glad you feel guilty for stealing it, but you really didn't steal it, you know. So, but, but every child is different, and so we've got to understand that. But there are certain things that we're called upon to do. We're called to protect our children. Can we protect them in everything? No, we can't. And some parents are so overprotective, sometimes that's discouraging too. You know, I like the old the things that we do see on Facebook where, you see the kid on a bike, you know, jumping over five of his friends on a ramp with no helmet and no knee pad. And that was my life growing up, you know. I can remember being the person laying there as the last person praying that this kid pedals hard enough that he clears us, you know. Because if he doesn't clear us, I'm toast, you know. So, I mean, but now you can't even, you know, you ride a bike, you got to just full armor, you got to go down, you know, you got to ride in the church parking lot, you can't, you know, so, but we got to protect our children, though. We can't expose them to things that are going to hurt them. We've got to provide that protection. We also have to provide correction. Now, correction's not always punishment. That's part of it, but correction is you're showing them the right way to go. You're keeping them in the right path guiding them and, and directing them, which also brings in you're to teach them, instruct them. Now, children, you're to obey. You say, well, I'm an adult now. What does that mean for how I deal with my parents? You honor your parents. Sometimes it probably wouldn't even hurt to obey your parents because they've learned something over the years. When they say, I wouldn't take out that loan if I were you, Listen, you know, because they know that that's going to get you in trouble. It sounds good at first, but it doesn't, it doesn't, you know, so there's, but as children, we, we obey. Our kids need to obey us. Now, that does not mean, just like wives submitting to husbands, kids obeying their parents is not, no matter what I say and do, you're going to do it. It's that as I love you and provide and do what I'm called upon to do, then you have a responsibility back to me. All right? So now let's go on to bosses and employees. I changed the wording because it's, we don't have masters and slaves anymore. But um, he says here, Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work, work heartily 
as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Now, there's one guiding principle here for both bosses and employees. It is the Lord Christ you serve. Now, I gave Judy my phone this morning because I was afraid Jordan or Adam might text me in the middle of the message like they did a couple weeks ago. I got, if y'all noticed, I got distracted a couple weeks ago because all of a sudden up on my iPad, my, just hand me your phone. It'll save the same effect. All right. Um, you know, have you ever, that's right, I don't tell where my phone is. Um, have you ever been at work and either you or someone else at work sitting at their desk or when they're supposed to be working, they have this in their hand and you walk up and it's like, <laughs> put that away. Now, why do they do that? Because they know they're doing something they're not supposed to be doing, right? They're putting it away. If, they, if it's okay for them to be on their phone, they're not going to freak out and put it away. Now, if you freak out and put your phone away, what are you doing? Are you serving your employer as if you were serving Christ? Or are you cheating your employer of time? You know, we have to be careful. We're called upon to be committed to our work. I don't care whether you like it or not. If you don't like your job, try to find another one. But in the job you have, you are supposed to be committed as if you are committed to the Lord. You are to serve in that job as if you are serving the Lord. And it also says, not by way of eye service as men pleasers. In other words... You're to serve even when no one is watching. Not easy, is it? Oh, they won't know. Doesn't matter. But it's not your boss that you're serving. It's not your employee that you're serving. It's the Lord Jesus Christ that you're serving. Now remember, Paul's writing all this to people who really had never had any grasp or, or any understanding of some of these things. Even when, when Paul talks to the woman in this passage, even though he's saying submit, and in 21st century America, we don't like that word, the fact that he's speaking at all to a woman and giving her any instruction proves that he's already elevated her more than the, the culture did. And the fact that he's telling her husband to love her as Christ loves the church proves that he's elevated her. Because prior to that, the husband could do whatever he wanted. And Paul's saying, no, it's going to be different because Christ is in you, and you are in Christ. You need to live differently. Now, what's the point in all that? Is that there are some relationship responsibilities. And these relationship responsibilities are true in every single relationship. So if you have your Bibles, go back just a few verses to chapter 3, verse 12. Paul says this, 
Put on then as Christ, I mean as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. Compassionate hearts. Now, you say, well, every time I see some, you know, these commercials with the starving kids, I feel so bad and I cry and I must have a compassionate heart. That's not what it's saying. It's not saying have pity on someone who's in a bad position. A compassionate heart shows action. Does... <laughs> Uh, a compassionate heart shows action to take care of the need, not just feeling bad because of the need. Now, you say, well, how does that relate? Well, how does it relate to your spouse? How does it relate to your kids? How does it relate to your job? You know, showing a compassionate heart. Kindness. You know, Jesus said something that we, we quote all the time, and we forget about it, though that we're to treat others as we would have them to treat us. Not treat others the way we think we should treat them. Not to treat others the way they have treated us. But we treat others the way that we would want them to treat us. It's kindness. It's showing that respect and that kindness. Humility. You remember, as you're having to deal with that person that just gets on your last nerve. Just keep in mind, they have to deal with you too. Right? I mean, you know, it's like I'm the right and they're wrong, so I've got to deal with them. Well, no. You know, there, there's two sides to that equation. Whether it's in the family, at work, school, with your parent, you know, with your kids, whatever it is. Paul says in Philippians, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Count others as more significant than yourself. That's humility. That's saying it's more about them than it is about me. Meekness. What did Jesus say? Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Remembering that we don't have all the answers. Patience. Oh, that's a fun one. There's two that come together. Patience and bearing with one another. What's the difference between those two? I can be patient with you for a day, but to live with you, I got to bear with you. I can be patient with you in one meeting, but to go to work with you every day, I have to bear with you. See, that's, there's times when we need to just be patient and keep our mouths shut. But there's times as we bear with one another, we may not have to keep our mouths shut because there's things that have to be dealt with, but we still do it with kindness and meekness and humility and compassionate hearts. Forgiving each other. Do you go to work, you go home, and there's just that one person that you try to avoid 
with everything you can because you're frustrated with them and you don't want to talk to them. Or you go to Walmart and you see them and you go, I don't need, I don't need anything from the grocery aisle, but I'm going that way because they're over here. You know, no, we, we forgive. Now, uh, everybody says it. I can forgive, but I can't forget. Okay? So in other words, I'm going to forgive, but I'm holding it there until I need it. Then I'm bringing it back up. That is not forgiveness. Can you mentally really forget it? No, you can't. But what what does the Scripture, over and over and over again, people in the Scriptures tell God, remember this. Did God forget it? No. They're basically saying, just call to mind. Call to mind. Did God forget that we sin? Did it just gone out of his mind like a senile old man? No. He chooses to not use it against us. So when we forgive someone, we don't hold on to it so we can use it some point in time. We put it aside. And when that comes up, and we want to just smack them, we choose to say, nope, I'm not letting that come back. I'm not letting that be used against them anymore. Is that easy? No, it's not. Relationships are not easy. But they're what God has called us to do. So then kind of Paul, to throw it all together, says, and on top of all that, do it all in love. Do it all with that other person in mind. With that other person as the goal. In all your relationships... The goal is to make the gospel attractive in all your relationships. Now, in Titus, it is talking to slaves and masters. But it says that they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive in every way. Does your work, your schoolwork, your relationships at home, your relationships at church, your relationships with the clerk at Walmart, your relationships with the people driving down the road beside you. I'm talking to myself now on those last two especially. <laughs> um, do those make the gospel attractive? So I want us to think of one more question, really. Or a If people were to determine what Christ is like by your attitude, your work ethic, ethic, and the way you treat others, what would be their conclusion? Let's pray.